Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is North, 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 North South. North South. Hey everybody, Tim Calcomme here recording on the North and South podcast with my co-host, the LA Times, Dylan Hernandez. Very quiet week for in California sports. Really nothing going on. Oh, wait a minute. The Chargers just fired their head coach and general manager, which I believe Dylan Hernandez created. He caused this. It wasn't the football. It was Dylan Hernandez putting his fists on the table and say, thou shalt not keep these guys employed or something like that. But as always, we got to start with Shohei Otani. This is basically a Shohei Otani reaction analysis observation podcast, and I'm proud of that. Dylan? You're at the introductory press conference for Shohei Tani to the Dodgers. A lot of theater. It looked like it looked like very crowded, very busy. Uh, I don't think the Jung Ho Lee uh, presser today at Oracle Park, which I may or may not end up going to, is going to be anything like that. But we'll see. What was the Shohei Otani like uh, presser like uh, as someone who was there? Well, there's just like a, first of all, just the the size of the crowd was just enormous, right? I'm not really sure uh, the Dodgers are quite aware of what just hit them in a way. Um, so this is media? You're saying, or were there other people? There? Just media, just media. Um, you know, the line to get in there stretched about 100 yards, and there were three, like, entry points, you know. Now, I was ja- I was joking with the Japanese, right, where they check your bags and stuff, you know, and I was joking with the Japanese reporters how, first of all, you know, Japanese people would not, like, commit terrorism. So I just kind of questioned mm-hmm. the, the use of the time. And if they were to, right, they wouldn't do something that obvious, you know. The invisible gases or something. I don't know if we got the dark Dylan Hernandez starts this on a very dark path here. We go, but but here's the thing, right? Is that I think that you know there was a lot of security there, too much security, right? And you know they look, and I don't really blame these people. They they get orders, you know, keep the crowd here, whatever, you know. But at some point, you know, when we were surrounding Nesbalelo, Otani's agent, after kind of the formal part of the press conference, uh, you know. They were like, okay, nobody get behind this table, you know, and Beth Harris of the AP, who I'm sure you know, sure, uh, right? Just the, the big crowd there just kind of, you know, moves over to that side. And next thing you know, some goon comes over and wow. starts like pushing. Yeah. So they, they, they here's the thing. So they not exactly the most threatening human being in the whole world, Beth Harris. No, you know, and so like they didn't, it didn't feel like they were ready for this. And I kind of questioned going forward even. Are they really ready to kind of deal with this? And, you know, could there potentially be like on field ramifications from this? You know, because the feeling that I'm getting right now is that they're really going to let, right? And Otani, you know, when he was with the Angels, Otani, um, Nesbalela really kind of dictated the, the media policy, right? Which was, okay, he's going to talk when they're on the AC pitches and that's going to be it. Um, and, you know, obviously Otani's not pitching this year, but, you know, Balelo was saying, okay, yeah, we'll probably keep something kind of a similar schedule, like talking once a week. You know, it's one thing if, uh, you know, you're asking, uh, you know, a young player like Neto or Ohapi on the Angels to talk about Otani every single day uh, because the guy himself won't talk. It's a whole different dynamic if you go in there and you're asking, you know, uh, say like a Freddie Freeman, right, who's a very kind of cooperative guy. 
you know, sure, he'll take a few days of this, right? He'll say all the right things. Day five or six, right? I mean, this guy's an all-star. He's an eight-time all-star himself. He's a former MVP himself, you know? There's going to be, I think, uh, an effect on the clubhouse there, right? I mean, the last time the Dodgers kind of let somebody kind of do whatever they wanted was Yasiel Puig. Now, I'm not comparing Otani to Puig in the sense that, right? I mean, you know, Otani doesn't have Puig's like self-destructive tendencies, you know, and I think that Otani will perform. Part of the problem with Puig was that he was very up and down. But I do think when you kind of create like one set of standards for like, you know, one person, one all-star and, you know, because it's not outright. I think guys understand pegging rules, right? It's, it's you know, sure, you afford Clayton Kershaw more rope than you do Dustin May. That's not the issue. The question is now is like you do have bets, you have Freeman, you know, you have Walker Bueller who's pitched in big games, you know, uh, and if Otani kind of gets a separate treatment, these things start becoming things, right? And in baseball, I think more than in any other sport because the season is so long, spring training is long. These guys spend so much time together, right? Uh, guys, I think more, right? Teams more than in like in other sports are willing to make trades, right? Just to get rid of like a negative clubhouse influence just because it really does have a way of seeping into everybody's bones and then eventually affecting the play on the field. So, uh, you know, I'm not really sure why they're so, you know, open to listening to, I mean, they're the Dodgers. Why are they listening to yeah. Nesbalela? Yep. Just because he gave them Otani for free, basically, <laughs> doesn't make him their PR director, you know? Yep. So kind of my initial thing, just kind of looking at this, is that's kind of what stood out a little bit was just you kind of get the feeling, okay, right? Even though he's kind of moved on to the bigger team. Um, and here's the one thing, and I think I mentioned this before. Otani used to talk after every game that he played when he was in Japan. Yeah. So this whole not talking thing, this is an American, right? This is something that's happened since he came here, coincidentally or not, since he got with this agent. You know, and again, I just kind of feel the Dodgers are kind of bigger than this, right? Why are they? And maybe they are. This? And maybe they are. Maybe this is the initial response moment. Yeah. You say everything in terms of like, okay, this is what you want, but then we're going to get to reality. I mean, who knows? But what are we talking about? I mean, we're going to have 200 Japanese media following every day. Like, there's going to be 200 of them in the clubhouse, 200 in the, you know, spring training. What, what kind of numbers are we talking about here, Dylan? Yeah, my guess is it's going to be, you know, I think with the Angels, it was about 30 a day. Mm -hmm. uh, there are only so many outlets. That's yeah. the reality, right? And so, you know, I could see 30 becoming 40, maybe becoming 50, right? Now, obviously, the first game that he plays, right, the game, right, the Dodgers are opening the season in Korea in late mm -hmm. March, uh, you know, because of the proximity to Japan. I mean, that might be the worst, right? There'll probably be like 500 there. Uh, you know, opening day here, my guess is it's going to be in the hundreds. Uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, though, right, it's, and that does change, again, the experience for everybody, right? Because they're, you know, for a midweek game in Pittsburgh now, they're going to be 50 as opposed to like four, yeah. you know? And again, and they're going to be desperate that, you know, uh, for content, you know, and they're going to go to whatever player is at his locker. And again, you know, I think guys are willing to do this a few times. It's just, you know, and here's the one thing I think fundamentally, right? Um, and somebody needs to explain this to Otani. I just try to kind of lay this out in this column is how, you know, in Japan, um, these guys, these teams, uh, with the exception of Hiroshima, which is owned by uh, Hiroshima, the prefecture, uh, the teams are all owned by corporations, right? And so the existential purpose of these teams is to promote the parent company, right? So, for example, Otani used to play for the Nippon Ham Fighters, which is there to promote the Nippon Ham brand, right? It's a, it's like a food processing company. Uh, whereas in the United States, baseball in and of itself is a business, and, you know, when you sign a professional contract, I think most of the players 
maybe not anymore. <laughs> they used to at least have this understanding, right? That you also have a obligation to sell this thing, now, right? And part of that is by addressing the media, right? By you want to spur discussion about this, right? So that like we can talk about it, like on this podcast, for example, mm-hmm. you know, and that's how you kind of grow the game. And I think that that's something that right players understand. And usually, look, obviously, certain guys are going to be more in demand than others. Everybody kind of gets that. I think when you start getting into problems is when one guy kind of refuses to sh- you know, shoulder his share of the burden and thereby passes that burden on to his teammates. You know, and again, I think it's one thing, uh, you know, for, you know, on a team like the Angels that's not contending. And a lot of these guys are just happy to be in the big leagues for Otani to pass the buck to them. It's a whole different thing if. Otani's right because he won't talk now. All of a sudden, Mookie Betts has to talk about, it, or how Freddie did, Freeman has to talk about. How it. did Mike Trout handle that? I don't sense uh, Trout, that he loved Trout, it. Trout, well, Trout was injured a lot, yeah. you know, so he wasn't around much. But you could even see, you know, Trout's like a Trout is as agreeable. Uh, you know, Trout's one of these guys. Honestly, like every he doesn't say a ton, but he's one of those guys. Whenever you go talk to him and you leave his locker room, you're kind of, right or he looks locker, you're like. Oh, you feel good, right? Like, oh man, like this good guy, you know? <laughs> then you go back and listen to the tape and you realize he said nothing, but, you know, uh, and he's pretty, and you can even see like with him too, like I think at some point it started to to wear on him, right? And I think, again, if it would have been a different thing if Trout is in there every day, you know, and he becomes kind of the de facto team spokesman and he's Mike Trout and he starts getting asked, well, Tani, and that's all it is. Mm-hmm. I do think that's, again, starts becoming an issue. So, you know, I'd be I'd be very right because I mean you covered bonds, right? Sure. Um, you know, now granted, again, that's a different type of personality. Otani does seem a lot more agreeable than that, but it creates a certain feel in that locker room, right? Yeah. There's a certain just thing the that physicality kind of, of it, just the physicality yes. of yeah. it of fifty different, even if it's fifty, fifty new media people in there crowding around. It's just like you've been in a Lakers locker room; it gets crowded it just that's the reality of it and you go to another log like oh my god it's a different feel because there's only six people in here uh, media people um yeah i mean again will the dodgers care about it if they're winning no but you're right i think it's legitimate i was thinking about that if the giants sign otani they clearly would want him he's a great player with the marketing and all that but if you got to split up the the clubhouse largely through no no fault of otani it's just the way life goes they're not going to like it. The other players are going to, you know, they're going to be looking over their shoulders about it. And at some, yeah, at some point, let's say he starts off and he's not hitting that great for the Dodgers. And the team is 15 and 17. And they're still got 50 people in there trying to think about how they're, you know, who's talking to Otani, who's taking batting practice with Otani, who's whatever. Uh, I, I can imagine that there would be some building pressures. Again, I, I don't think Dodgers care that much about it, but you're right. To, to circle it and i'm you know we all think about because we're all around physically we feel the physicalness of it the physicalness in the in the, the press box in the locker room just around everybody at press conferences uh and i do wonder and they have that moment if they're if they're shoving around reporters if they're scared already that to me that's scared security people and i can't stand scared security people i understand they have a job to do but mostly they're trying to get into the, they they want to be part of it right they want to feel like i'm bigger than you so you can i'm here and you're not and that's crap uh so and i like that so this pisses me off hearing that uh there's there's no no reason to do stuff like that and it just leads me to believe that yeah the, the dodgers might be a little overwhelmed by this Tra- spring training they're going to get overwhelmed by this 
Dylan, right? They're, it's yeah, going to be an onslaught and they're going to get all scared. And then what did they do? And then what does Freddie Freeman think of that? And then what, you know, what everyone else there, Tyler Glass now, who they just traded for and signed. Um, but we'll see. This is, this happens. This happens when you're that big of a team. It's, it's a Lakers like thing, but it's beyond all that because obviously the, the different culture and the different media. But um, yeah, I, 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 I was thinking about that even before all this. And this is just underlining it. He's gonna have to, he's gonna play great. He's gonna be great, but there will be a bit of a you know a load with this. Uh, and yeah, is Dave Roberts gonna handle it? How's every you know he's used to being in the big big market, big scrutiny. But how's he gonna handle it? And you know, and I thought it was interesting. Plashy wrote about it. You know, Otani has it's been reported he does have this clause where if Mark Walter, the owner or the whatever the governor, whatever they call him. Or Andrew Freeman, the team president, are no longer with the team. Either one of them, right? It's either one of them. Yes. Yeah. Then he can choose to opt out. He can go. Right. But not Dave Roberts. Now, I wouldn't have expected Dave Roberts to be in that, but it is notable that he's not in that. It's not clearly considered a principle. All true. But what what kind of dynamic does that have on the team? Yeah, I think uh, you know it's it's interesting, right? Because actually, the pressure should be on Andrew Friedman. Yes. Right. I mean, they have basically. Otani is playing almost for free in a way, right? They're going to make Bill Shaken, my colleague, has a story up on LATimes.com right now. LATimes.com. Um, um, about, right, that they, I mean, this is the one contract that could literally actually pay for itself, right? Um, you know, the Lakers sold like a uniform patch. I think the Yankees did too for $25 million, I mean, annually. So that, I mean, that's already more than half of the AAV of this, you know, this deal. Um, and so, with the savings, I think the pressure should be on Friedman to now, right? Uh, okay, you, you better do something with this money now, right? They, they have an obvious need for pitching. Uh, you know, they just uh, right completed a trade for Glass now, um, which I'm not sure, man. I mean, this guy, right, last year, I mean, I think he pitched like 20 games or something. It's the most, right, 120 innings. It's the most he's ever pitched before. Yep. Uh, this is the kind of, this is a big money version of the mistake they have made year after year, right? When they signed Brandon McCarthy and Scott Casimir, they love these broken down guys. Hey, look, look how smart we are. We found this guy. We're bringing this guy up the, up the scrap heap and we're going to sew him back together and he's going to thrive under us because we're so smart. Um, and the Giants have some of this too, by the way. You know, yes, yeah. coming from the Dodgers. Like they right. Yeah. <laughs> those, were, those were in part, yeah. uh, yeah, Zaidi's fault too, but like, so, you know, um, now that I think this move would be probably viewed with a lot under a lot. This move would be under a lot more scrutiny, probably, if Friedman didn't have this uh, protection now, because, you know, as well as things has gone here, I do think in the last couple of years, the fan base here has gradually started to change. Right. I mean, they obviously, you know, McCourt's you know, kind of ran the team into the ground. And so, like, initially Guggenheim comes in and they're spending all this money and they make this right? Ridiculous, like Adrian Gonzalez trade, where they also took Beckett and Crawford just to, right, just to get Gonzalez. And it's like, okay, these guys are like really all in. And eventually, though, the people in this market are spoiled. I think they got really spoiled by the Shaq and Kobe Lakers, you know, where winning kind of all of a sudden felt like a birthright. And in the last couple of years, it's really kind of shifted on on the management, right? Because, again, the problem is easily identifiable. They can't pitch, right? They don't have playoff pitching. And it's obvious to anybody watching this thing and they're kind of like losing the same way time and time again and you know i do think again that you know with um you know the the, the heat's kind of on or was on friedman a bit 
And now all of a sudden you kind of know, okay, well, he's not going, well, first of all, people are excited, obviously just that Otani's here, right? So that was already going to take, you know, some heat off Friedman anyway. But now it's like, you know, the two guys are tied together. So I think, you know, Plasky's absolutely right. This this whole burden is now going to fall on Dave Roberts, uh, you know, and he he better win. You know, that's, uh, he's kind of, uh, you know, he, I wouldn't say he's a, quite as unpopular as Brandon Staley was, <laughs> but it's kind of close. A lot of times, you know, baseball fans, I don't think really kind of understand the way these things work and the, the interplay between the front office and the, the dugout anymore. But, uh, yeah, a lot of people kind of blame, you know, all these October exits on on Roberts as if, I mean, if he had the pitching, I think he would call that pitcher out of the bullpen, right? The reason these things don't work is because the team is constructed the way it is. It and- is interesting with these teams, these analytics-driven teams, which I support. I think you, you want all the information that you can. But they basically you know, imply that the manager isn't very important. And yet when things go wrong, it's the manager's fault. That's exactly. always, you know, uh, Billy Bean's a friend of mine. I appreciate, but like at some point, you're like, no. And I think he realized that when he fired Bob Guerin, who was a friend of his, uh, kind of a nothing manager and put Bob Melvin in there. It's like a, a real manager. At some point, if you think the manager is not important, then nothing is important. That happens that, he, that you know, and you can't fire, you can't realistically blame him for anything. The manager can change some things, impact some things, and you have to look at it that way. And it just it just seems weird that Roberts is evaluated on the scale of he's not that important, and yet when they lose, it's his fault. Uh, that seems a little bit unfair. But let's well, let's violate the uh, kind of the way we usually do this, and we'll go to another LA story as I mentioned before. Chargers coach Brandon Staley fired also with general manager Tom Telesco, which you had to. I thought they should have fired Telesco the previous time. He's been given a lot of chances to hire head coaches. A lot of tenures come and gone here. Um, clearly you're not surprised. No one's surprised after what happened last night, but what do you think went wrong? I mean, you know, Staley, you've been around there. What was the issue with Brandon Staley's kind of whole thing with the chargers? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, it's a very, the kind of defense that he runs, right. It's a lot of it's based on, you know, disguises and there's a certain amount of like this, right. It seems like their guys, the system itself wasn't very flexible, right. So it wasn't like they could kind of go out. And just like grab whoever and kind of plug him in just because a guy was a good player in another type of system. He wasn't it wasn't necessarily going to work out here, you know. And now, you know, I do think they felt good, you know, like last year going into last season. Right. He brought in Khalil Mack and Sebastian Joseph Day, guys who had played under him previously. So I think he kind of felt, okay, he's got his guys in here now. Uh, But it just never quite came together. Right. Something was always kind of missing, you know, and it's. One of those things too, right? The the offense would play well and the defense would be horrible. Or like when the last few weeks, the defense has actually kind of started to come around. The offense was bad, right? They never were able to kind of play that kind of complimentary football. I think that that every team strives to play, um, you know. And it, I mean, last night what we just saw was just they just quit, yep. you know. And I do wonder, you know, Staley, what what I did like about him, right, was you know the first year that he came in, uh, I kind of was, I mean, I kind of said this half jokingly, right? It's like, well, you know, this franchise is cursed, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and he says, you know what? I address, we, we've we talked about that, right? We have, that's the elephant in the room. We need, that's the first thing, you know, kind of that, like we need to address, right? And, you know, that's uh, that's a risky thing, right? I mean, because- yeah, I don't love the, that. I don't love yeah, that. Because, you, you know, if you conquer it, great, mm-hmm. right? But if you don't, that stuff starts seeping into- guys heads you know and i think right uh after the jacksonville game you know joy bosa kind of talked about how when things started 
turning on them last year in that game. Uh, right. He was saying something along the lines of like, yeah, we just kind of knew this was going to unfold the way it did, you know? And I think that that just kind of played out like on a bigger scale here, instead of playing out over one football game, it started playing out over this like larger thing that where, okay, this isn't going right. Okay. We just lost our center, you know, here we go again type thing. And I just think in the end, like last night, we just saw a team just quit, right? There was no belief, just no commitment whatsoever. They just quit, right? And so, yeah, time to move. You know, again, it's a typical, the people of San Diego warned us about this, right? <laughs> the Chargers every year. Because I'm not going to lie, man. I'm going into this year, I thought like, maybe, right? <laughs> yeah, because that great playoff game, that playoff game really maybe, showed up. Maybe, you know. I'm, from, I'm talking from, we'll get to what they could do next because I think, I mean, we'll see if they're set up to hire a guy like Jim Harbaugh, which would just make all the sense in the world. Was, you know, you was at University of San Diego. That's where he started his coaching career, head coaching career. Makes all the sense in the world. But let's, before we get to that, from afar, I only was around him for a couple of the 49ers joint practices a couple of years ago down there. And I, I re, just read what I read. It just, to me, and that, you're talking about him, you know, we, I address the curse. I address this. It just seemed like, look at me, take command. Everything was, look at me, address these things. He's addressed the charging thing. I addressed it. We're not going to do that. It's just, you're trying to, it was like he's trying to head coach through Twitter. He was trying to head coach through social media. They're trying to please writers. Even Dylan Hernandez, which is an impossible feat. He just look, uh, I, even I, he walked around a little bit even at that practice, like he just wants people to see him coach. Look at me, coach. Look at me do these things. And there are people who've done that who are good. No question. There, I mean, some of that is part of taking command of a room. I get it. But and I think he's a smart defensive coach. But I think he got transfixed by this love he got for going on fourth downs. You know, he didn't do it all the time, but he did it very showily, very stagely. And analyst committee community just embraced him as this is the guy who's doing it right. This is right. And yet fourth down decisions are independent. Like they are in the moment. They aren't always right. They're not always wrong. And he just, he loved being the darling of this community. And I don't want to put too much on the community because they're really smart people when I read them. But I just think he was always viewing how people looked at him. He was always trying to be perceived as a smart guy. And, it, and, it wasn't as much coaching as it was playing to that crowd. And I think players get that eventually. They understand, like, wait a minute. He's not doing this because he thinks we're good. We can convert the fourth and two. He's doing it to get applauded on ESPN. And again, I'm not saying it's all that. I'm not saying this is you can't ever do it like that because some coaches still do it and they win. But I think it, it kind of is what you are. It is what you're understood in the locker room. I'll just, you know, Kyle Shanahan does not give a shit about what's said on ESPN. Sometimes to his detriment, but that's how you had Bill Parcells didn't give a shit. You know, Bill Belichick, that's probably his, his problem now is that he doesn't give, like he just, it, it, you can't react to what someone is saying on an ESPN talk show and hope that they praise you. I guarantee you he's called people at ESPN to try to get them to see his way. I guarantee you he's done that. I can just, I've covered coaches like that. Steve Lavin was, he reminds me a little bit of Steve Lavin, not as Gary, you know, gregarious, but just this constant, you know, searching for approval. That doesn't work in the NFL. I've been around the NFL a lot. That doesn't work. And yeah, and, while, and that's a really might, good point. You yeah, know, while, I think that we, kind of meshes a yeah, bit with yeah. what I'd heard was that, again, right, the, the players kind of just stopped believing in it. 
Yeah, it's yeah. like you're not making us better, right? right. It's partly right. about something else, and and you know, you know, and somewhat it's I don't like those, you know, dealing with those kind of people. Sometimes I just don't. I like the hard asses much more, and I do think hard asses win more. So I just I'm getting my thing off on Staley. I do. I've always kind of seen that in him. I think he's a smart coach. He's comes from the Vic Fangio school, and I, I'm close to Vic. But Vic is totally non bullshit. Like Vic is not that at all. So it's interesting to me. Uh, can they? We've talked about this before. I think months, you know, whatever. When we started this, can they? Are they set up to possibly hire a guy like Jim Harbaugh? They certainly have not done that any time in the recent. They, you know, basically bypassed Sean Payton. I mean, you know, who wanted that job? Obviously, there's a reason. It's Justin Herbert. Can they change who they are? Bring in a general manager who's approved by Jim Harbaugh and spend the eighteen million or whatever it's going to be a year. To hire Jim Harbaugh. You know, one thing that's kind of gone a little bit underreported, I think, right, is that the there's evidently some strife within the Spanos family. Mm, I right? know that. Um, yeah, the sister is now suing the brothers, mm. um, right, saying, you know, I guess they're right. Some of the she wants to sell whatever, and she's basically saying like, hey, like, you know, my brothers are running, racking up this debt here because well, well, they're running up, they're running the Correct. Chargers. Yeah. Correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And actually that this isn't, you know, and if, so if they're in that type of situation, you know, um, cause I think, I do think we've seen now it might not be right on the, uh, you know, kind of you view this from like a league wide thing. It might not be like a huge deal, but the fact that they like fired Anthony Lynn, right. With a year left on his contract for the Spanos that was actually kind of a, to me, a recognition that, Hey, we're not in San Diego, mm -hmm. right. We're in this congested market. The fact that they, you know, I mean, I was uh, as bad as things were. And I wrote, you know, again, after um, the loss on Sunday, I wrote, hey, blow this whole thing up. I was kind of expecting this to happen at the end of the season. Now, granted, I mean, the way it went, I mean, it just went so horrendous <laughs> that they didn't really have a choice here. But like even that, right, letting a guy go in kind of the middle of the season. Now, again, here, they probably didn't have a choice. But this is still kind of a, an acknowledgement, I feel, that they're in a different market. And again, if they are in the kind of financial situation that this lawsuit says they're in, uh, they, they might actually have to kind of push all in at some point to save this family business of theirs, right? And so, um, you know, again, right, even with like, uh, you know, as obvious as it was, right, okay, you need, right, they need to sign Justin Herbert to a big extension, whatever, right? I mean, even with stuff like that, like you got to put X amount of dollars like an escrow and stuff, right, to, you know, when mm -hmm. you sign a deal like that. Uh, and there were questions about like, okay, do they have the cash to do these things? Um, you know, so far, like, you know, they have done everything that they've needed to do, I think, to be, at least from the ownership standpoint. I mean, I know whatever they did in San Diego is kind of one thing, but I think since they've come here, I do think that they've realized where they are, right? They're building a new practice facility out in El Segundo. I do think that the financial commitment, okay, now, obviously, this is going to be a huge step, right? This is going to be you know, UCLA going out and hiring Chip Kelly type thing. This is this is going to like fundamentally kind of change their this franchise if they go that route. Um, but I kind of think that they're aware of the situation that they're in, now, you know, and I think, yeah, you know, you wanted to do it ideally, you know, in a cheaper way. Right. And so they kind of did this. OK, well, right there, you know, this is kind of, he's falling off this Sean McVay tree. Right. Here's this young, right. All these young whiz kids. Let's take one of them and see if we could do it this way. Uh, now that this has failed, you know, uh, again, I think that there's a lot of pressure for them to uh, get this right. And a part of this, too, is the fact that, you know, just last year, even there was a perception in L.A. 
that the Rams were declining and the Chargers were kind of on the way up, right? And uh, kind of it's it's the script is flipped entirely again this year. You know, uh, you know, you talk about guys being kind of like being, you know, what they're supposed to be. Uh, McVeigh has actually been very, very impressive this year, right? I think he's there. on one hand, he's look, he's playing with house money right now. There isn't pressure, but I'm kind of buying the okay. This is this is a guy now, right? Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a different act than kind of the traditional, you know. Uh, right, hard ass football coach that you kind of described. This is guy. This guy's going to be a little bit like trickier. <laughs> I do think I was joking with Gary Klein. You know, the last time I talked to McVeigh, I told Gary afterwards, man, in three years, this guy's going to be able to, you know, lie to us however much he wants because he's he's very clever with the way he, you know, he's very personable. Um, you know, but McVeigh is kind of that guy. And so again, you're looking at this. The Rams are going to have all this dead money coming off the books. I'm expecting them to. I mean, they're competitive right now with a crap roster. You know. When they actually get some players here next year, uh, you know they could be they could be dangerous again. And again, I think the the Chargers are very cognizant of their place in the market, you know. And so I wouldn't be completely shocked if if this is the time when they finally kind of make that move. Because again, I, I what I think that they don't want is for you know this kind of hey they're the Chargers, everything's bound to go wrong that type of narrative to follow them here. Okay, let's. Uh, is there a declining team you mentioned that in, in the Bay Area you want to you want to check in with? Wait, is there something? What, like what's wrong with Draymond Green? <laughs> I, I know this is just like so, like almost like fish in the barrel type thing for yeah. you guys. But as I'm looking at it from up here, what's this guy like? Like what? What was that? Yeah, he's a guy who was constantly on the edge, who's succeeded beyond you know what you would imagine his NBA physical talents are. Although he has physical talents, he's just he's not running and jumping like some of the top top guys, uh, and I think it's safe to say that maybe he feels some of that slipping away, even that edge slipping away, and he's pushing it beyond that, and he's reacting to maybe some young guys who are bouncing around him, and and he, he's not used to this in a way that isn't winning, and I think it, you know the rumors are that. Even the Jordan Poole situation with Jordan Poole, and I, I think it was, I've heard this, it was, he said nothing totally new or way out of bounds in a Warriors practice, kind of just regular trash talk, but it was something like, you know, you're not that good anymore. You just, you've never been that good. And that he could, you could see an older player get sensitive about that. Uh, and Draymond has reacted terrible ways. And I've said it, people have gotten really mad at me, but if you're going to find intent in the, in the Nurkic thing. And you slow it down. It looks certainly looks like an intent. In live, I did not. I just thought it was a flail and you end up in it. It's reckless. Get thrown out, all those things. I didn't see pure intent to strike him. But if you see a pattern of Sabonis, then Gobert, then Nurkic, and you understand the NBA, you can. that's where the NBA would see, okay, there might be an intent. He was looking to get this guy. I don't know that he was. I'm not saying that he was. I didn't think so at the time. But he was looking to get Gobert. There's no, I mean, there's no question about that. And the NBA said, you are not doing this again. You are not doing this again. And Draymond couldn't control himself. You can just see, like, there are, we see temperamental people who understand the things that they do are wrong, who understand that there's a line that they've crossed, who promise they won't do it again. And they get to that moment and they still do it. We see it in every walk of life. We see it everywhere, especially when times are tough, right? Especially when... They're not looking so good. And then Draymond hasn't played terrible. He's actually played pretty good this season, but he's been ejected three times and now suspended for six games plus and counting. I think the league wants him out at some point. I think parts of the league, I should put it that way. 
I don't think Joe Dumars wants him out. I think Joe Dumars has been a big part of let's have counseling or let's come together. Let's figure this out. Let's make you right. I think Adam Silver or people around him don't want this anymore. And they've made it very clear. And there's, there's heavy pressure from them that this behavior either ends or we get them out of here. And I, I understand part of it. They've made it super clear to him. But you get it when there's pressure on a dynasty. There's pressure on success. There's pressure. Like you need to repeat what you've done. And you can't do it. And you're not sure that anybody, you know, like Clay Thompson isn't there. It's a ripple effect. Andrew Wiggins' career imploding, you know, before our eyes has dragged everything down. Clay Thompson's struggling, although he looked really good last night. Uh, he was going to start shooting again at some point. But he slowed down. That's put pressure on everybody. Now, Steph Curry responds to it by trying to play even better, by trying to support everybody, trying to bring the team up. Draymond, at times, will react that way by blowing up and doing something stupid and, and you know, borderline violent. It's just, the you know, it's kind of built in this. And, I you know, there's questions about Steph's leadership or what Steve Kerr doing and all. It's all about this was part of how they got the four championships, right? That's you can't go back and say, you know what? It's all been wrong. This is these are part of the, you know, kind of the deals, the wagers with themselves they made to get those four championships and trying for a fifth in position, trying to be if they possibly are. That was part and parcel of this. Draymond's temper was back when he was in his 20s. This is what he's fuels him, has helped fuel them. They wanted him out there. He's played well. And this stuff has happened. It's speeding up. It's getting worse. But that's what also happens when you're aging and you're not as good. So... I just look at it as the total entirety of the picture is they've got here in a certain way. They played a certain way. They've highlighted certain things, but also had weaknesses with those things that everything else helped kind of cover up or not, or not even cover up or just kind of allay. And as the talent is receding, the trouble spots are still there. And in fact, they're getting worse because there's more to deal with. There's more pressure. There's more responsibility that they can't handle. And that's what we're seeing. We're blowing up here. So that's a long I guess way of saying that. My question, though, right, is are these, is this really the same thing? You know, because I do think that like the, the temper, right, it, it served of like a legitimate like purpose before, right? At, at least from the outside, that's the feel that I had where, especially when your best players are kind of like finesse guys like Steph and Clay, right? Having that guy that you kind of not sure, right, if you're playing against him, having that, that like time bomb guy on the other side. Okay, you got to respect him a little bit, right? Because this guy might do something crazy, you know. Um, whereas, like now, it feels right, especially a guy like Draymond Green, who, like you said, is an overachiever. Those guys become overachievers kind of by maximizing every little thing, right, and using that to their advantage to kind of, right, um, you know, they, they make the most of like what they have. This just kind of feels a little like self-destructive. That's part of that. Right? That's, but and, that's always been part of it. It's always been yeah, part of it, and yeah. you know, flicking. Uh, LeBron in the groin right after you're you were told by the league you just kicked Stephen Adams in the balls you cannot do this anymore you can't you you know Warriors fans got all mad it wasn't that bad he was told do not do this anymore absolutely and in the finals up three one he couldn't help himself there is something there is a mania there that we all know which right on punching Jordan Poole is the worst crossing the line you can possibly a teammate in a practice and he just can't help himself I do think it's accelerating as his skills decline as the team declines and they either fix that or he's not gonna be in the league very much longer i mean i've had people in the league who just you know texted me it's over now who knows they're just people observing they're not in the decision making 
point of this, but it's close to over, Dylan. It's and it was never going to end pretty. Like we all, I mean, with the Warriors, they, they they've planned possibly alternate ways out of this with Draymond. Drafting James Wiseman was part of that. Drafting Jonathan Kaminga clearly hasn't all the way worked or worked at all. But Draymond just kept on playing well, and that's the deal with the devil. Like you deal with it. At some point, you're going to lose a bit of your soul. Uh, and some of that's happening here. Um, it's it's natural, but it's not going to be pretty. All right, we got to wrap this up, Dylan. We'll do. We, we've been pat- passing this off way too much. Who won the week? L.A. or the Bay Area? Who won the week? Ah, I think that one might be pretty clear. Be yeah, pretty well, clear. I mean, I think it comes down to the Otani thing, right? Uh, you know, sign Otani for two million dollars a year. Was that okay? And and yeah. trade use that money you save for Tyler Glass now. I think the, the Dodgers are setting up for something very interesting. So. I'm gonna say LA one. What do you see? You're saying uh, I say uh, I gotta go with LA. I, can't, I don't really know how to spin this any other way. This victory time. LA, victory Dylan Hernandez as always, and he, he took down Brandon Staley. All right, we gotta go. Time is running short here. Thank you so much, everybody. That is the show for today. Mm-hmm.